gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you need this. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from The Matrix with the Director of Content Marketing at Deal. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? What is happening to me? Welcome. To the real world. Anya, how are you? I'm good. Very excited for this. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. Excited to have you on the show. Chat in the Matrix, chat in marketing, content, deal, and everything in between. So starting off, Anya, why the heck did you pick the Matrix? Well, I actually, ahead of this recording, I, I saw quite one of the questions that was like, why is the matrix remarkable? So I actually Googled the definition of remarkable just to make sure I, I got it right. And it was like worthy of attention. And I'm very nerdy when it comes to movies, especially the matrix. I've done a paper on it during my university days. So it, it's pretty much like one of my biggest loves if i can say when it comes to movies at least and i'm like i was just like okay it it was meant to be and i was inspired by your previous episodes and i wanted to bring the matrix back because although it's been 20 years right since almost yeah 20 years it's, it's been forever right since the first part came out and i still think it's just worthy of attention, worthy of talking about. It should never, I want to bring it back. (laughs) That's why. I love it. And zooming out here, tell us about your role at Deal. So I started years ago, four, four and a half, almost five years ago. I was the first marketing hire. At the time, we were a super tiny team. We're just coming off of Y Combinator. And I joined a team of three, four other people. So I joined as like the fifth person and the first one to do marketing. So at any early stage startup, the marketing person is also now doing customer support, also doing a bit of sales, a bit of outbounds, a bit of whatever you need me to do type of role. I mean, obviously the rest of the team did as well. So it was 2019 when we officially launched and Right now, I'm doing content marketing. I, I lead the team of, of content writers and content marketing managers. And now I focus on long-form content. But prior to that, I did a bit of everything. But I'm, I'm now lucky to be a part of a larger team and larger department that are a bunch of experts who really know their thing. So we are now a full-stack marketing engine. And we'll get much more into that content strategy here later in the show. 
But back to the Matrix. So, Meredith, if someone has not watched a movie in 20 years, what is the Matrix? I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice, tumbling down the rabbit hole. So The Matrix is a sci-fi action movie, and it's about a computer programmer who discovers that the world as we know it is a simulation, which is feels very poignant today with AI and everything, especially being used in marketing. AI. I mean artificial intelligence. So in this awakening, he finds out that machines have created the simulation to distract humans and are basically like sucking his body, using his body as an energy source in the meantime to do that. So he has this awakening and he bands together with these other rebels who or people who have been freed from the Matrix and they are rebelling against the machines. So the machines are the bad guys. It's a 1999 movie and it stars Keanu Reeves as Neo, Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity, Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus, and Hugo Weaving as Agent Smith. So The Matrix was created by sisters, Lana and Lily Wachowski. They're known professionally as the Wachowskis. And I, I didn't know this. They're trans women. They were previously known as Larry and Andy Wachowski. And they had only written and directed one movie before, which was a neo-noir crime thriller called Bound in 1996. But now they're known for V for Vendetta, Cloud Atlas. I hadn't realized they had done those movies as well. So the whole idea behind The Matrix, one, the Wachowskis, they were kind of asked to make this comic book concept by a friend. And so they started like mulling over what that could be. And they're inspired by this French postmodern philosopher, Jean Baudrillard. And his theory was that he kind of had this idea that everything in our world is a simulation in a digital universe. And that's kind of like what inspired The Matrix. But Jean Baudrillard believed that we had all lost the ability to make sense of the distinction between nature and artifice. Right now, we're inside a computer program. And so humans have kind of built up this false reality and we're losing that ability to tell what's real what's not real so we're kind of like floating along just like happy in our made-up reality so in the movie the Wachowskis actually nod to Baudrillard when Neo hides his sort of contraband software in this hollowed out copy of the book Simulacra and Simulation which was Baudrillard's book but all that said, like this idea that our reality is a simulation, it really allowed the Wachowskis to really experiment and explore special effects and camera tricks that had never been used before. And they made these really like iconic and memorable scenes, like the bending spoon scene where there is no spoon and the slow-mo bullet dodging scene where Neo's like bending backwards. But the whole style of the movie is influenced by cyberpunk, anime, and martial arts. The Wachowskis said that it basically included every idea we've ever had in our f***ing lives. So <laughs> it was this real like combination of all of these ideas that they just had kind of fallen in love with and were fascinated by. And that's to me like one of the biggest things in looking back at the story and reading the history a little bit more. That was one of the biggest things that stood out to me was just like how many ideas and genres are in this. You have to see it for yourself. And like, obviously you have like a, probably the one of the most famous scenes in the movie where they're in the simulator and he's learning all these different styles of fighting. I know Kung Fu. And it's kind of like an analogy for the movie that there's like so many different styles of filmmaking, 
and of like ideas and genres and they're all so, sort of like molded in one and it all makes sense because it's a simulation right the whole first part of the movie feels like completely different from like the middle part of the movie which feels completely different from the end part of the movie it's almost like it's like three different movies and it just feels like such a blend of style and you feel the comic book part and you feel the anime part and you feel of course all of the really cool martial arts piece that's in there and this crazy science fiction stuff so it's just such it's a master masterpiece and i love it it's one of my favorite movies ever i cannot agree more it's really like what really strikes me so ian you and i agreed and we kind of confessed that we watched a movie a lot of times <laughs> 20 30 oh yeah i mean times. i've seen i've seen this movie a hundred times yeah sure. okay it's fair to say we have seen it a hundred times and every time i i watch it i realize something new right because when you watch it for the first time you're just amazed by this by the main plot right it's like okay so it's very you know dark it's it's very anti a, a lot of things like anti-western culture anti you know nine to five cubicle lifestyle you know there is a hero and there is somewhat of a typical hero's journey but they're the bad guys they're there are fight scenes but the more you watch it the more you start to notice the details right show me so Meredith, you mentioned the book, like that's a very subtle nod to something that really inspires the movie that just can be missed, right? And for the most part, it doesn't matter. So it's really like, if, if you go to a museum, you can stare at a good painting for hours, right? It's trying to get all the details to understand why the, the artist picked that color, that shape, that landscape. But for me the matrix is the same like you know all the like you know film noir references the the darkness of it the the philosophical meta references also the the cyberpunk culture the techno culture like there is in the beginning when trinity picks up neo they're going to a club and there is this scene when where they go to a club and there is you know techno music there how do you know their name i know a lot about you that was the thing in, in, in late 90s, right? So it's a very subtle reference to the now, the present, but it's also drawing inspiration from something that's like decades old, right? So it, it really fascinates me. Like I cannot, yeah, I cannot stop. <laughs> this this episode might, might go on for hours. I apologize in advance. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Well, so let's let's get into what are some of the marketing lessons that we take away from the Matrix. What do you think, you know, jumps out at you first as a big marketing takeaway, something that we could put into our, our own marketing? I would say the idea of decomplexing a complex concept. That's a lot of C's. Sorry. It's, you know, when you're talking about a product, whatever, whatever the, the product is, and let's let's dive into into marketing a little bit. You're trying to explain it in a way that's relatable to your potential buyer, to a prospect. So you're trying to find the words, use the visuals, use the, the brand, everything in your power to create, to respond to to a need, right? But the matrix, on the other hand, is doing the same, right? So it's based on, say, philosophy, it's based on something very complex. Like postmodernism is very complex in its core, in its theory, 
but it's presented, the movie presented it in a way that's very light, that is relatable, that I believe is timeless because you can watch it now and still feel drawn to it, right? It's evergreen. The, the main idea doesn't really age. So that is the first thing that comes to mind. It's just how how easy and seamless it's trying to present something, which I think is key to to content marketing. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think that the way that they do exposition in this show is is really well done and really cool. Morpheus giving all of that exposition when they're in the simulator and able to show the world. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being into this. Essentially, they're watching this all happen in the series, but we're also watching it along with Neo, right? Where we get to see what is happening, what happened to the world and these things. And when you get that little subtle Morpheus slime where he says, like, I've, I was like, I've seen the growing fields. And you're like, this isn't, this isn't fake, right? Like, this is the real part of the world. And like, I've seen it. I've been there. This isn't, this isn't a lie. I, that part always jumped out of me is like, oh, damn, like Morpheus has been places that like no one has, no one has been in the, in the sort of the simulation. So they have this like beautiful way that they tell that story, which I think is, is really incredibly cool. It's fast cuts. It's, you know, that sort of thing. But then it's also the simplicity of decision-making of like the red pill versus the blue pill is so obvious. And it like it 20 years later, you could just say to someone like, do you want the red pill or do you want the blue pill? And they know exactly what you're talking about. They know the implication of one is putting your head in the sand and ignoring what's going on. And the other one is embracing reality. All I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. As a marketer, it's like that's what you're trying to do, right? Most of the time when you're marketing something, you're the the thing that the choices that they have is to do nothing and live live life in the status quo or to change, to make some type of investment into bettering themselves or bettering their future or their company. So you have this sort of moment where it's like, do you want to keep doing things how they're how they've been going, or do you want to do something that is a little bit harder, but this is sort of the right thing to do. And I love that. And I love that simplicity. And like, that is something as a marketer, you need to put into every sort of a thing that say like, Hey, yeah, there is, there is probably a choice that might be a little harder. You might have to get up and do a few things. You might have to go convince the rest of your company that this is a good idea, but it's worth it because that's the path to, you know, freedom or, or just, you know, a slightly better technological experience. Yeah, exactly. And in the beginning of the movie, when when Morpheus reaches out to Neo, it's it's the scene in in Neo's or Thomas Anderson's bedroom, and there is a computer screen, and we see that Morpheus is trying to to reach to him. He's saying like, you know, hey Neo, I know you haven't been sleeping. I know you're looking for answers. I know that you're trying to go beyond what is your truth, which is just you know he's addressing his markets right like he's using his own pain points and troubles to i don't want to say lure him but to attract him to the idea of questioning and challenging the truth or what the definition of truth is right because thomas anderson lives his ordinary life there is nothing to good about it nothing too bad about it it just you know days go go by and etc and then morpheus is offering something else he's offering him a window to another 
definition of truth, right? And he says, remember, I'm only trying to show you the real world. I'm only trying to give you the truth. This isn't real. How you use it is yours. Like he's not pitching him the idea of you're going to save the world. He's pitching him the idea of I'm going to give you the answer to the questions that you've been having, which is one-on-one marketing. Yeah, Neo, Neo's got pain points, right? Right. <laughs> he's, he's, got, he's got things he needs to solve. Exactly. And, and, and Morpheus is just laying out those, those pain points. Another scene that points to that later in the film, which they, they just do such a good job of pacing and pacing and, and bringing the, the viewer along, along with Neo with what is possible in this new world and like what is what is he possible of doing when he says so you're saying i can dodge bullets say i'm saying when the time comes you won't have to and it's that little nod to the future to say like what is the rest of this film going to be like what what are we talking about like that's crazy that does it's foreshadowing the fact that he is going to dodge bullets it's foreshadowing the fact that you know he's going to be able to fly at the end of it or stop bullets and then fly And like, it's this idea that, you know, again, if this was a sales pitch, which it is, right? Morpheus is trying to, you know, to, to sell Neo on joining him and to, and to become the chosen one and to do all this stuff. And he's constantly pitching him all these things. And he's just giving him those glimpses of what's possible and just showing him, you know, bit by bit that if you keep going down this path that you're going to be able to do things that you never thought were possible. And like Morpheus is the best sales. I mean, if he comes, if he walks in the door for me, you know, like, I mean, I'm still taking the blue pill, but you know, I'm at least thinking about it. Yeah. He's, he's the, the just embodiments of a subject matter expert, right? Through storytelling, he tells you, I've been there. I've seen this. I know I've been on both sides. I'm trying to do this and that for you. So it's really like, he's really, selling this idea, but then he's also upselling, right? And what I really appreciate about the movie is that it's very believable, right? Like when Neo is very fresh and he's reborn and he's in training, that scene when when he's trying to to jump from one building to another, like from jump from one roof to another, they tell him like, you know, everybody fails at their first attempt. And everybody's like on the edge of their seat. Like, will he make it? Try to relax. We're all on the edge of the seat. And it's in movies, it's natural that, you know, since he's the one, we expect that he makes it, right? Because it's what movies usually are about, right? The superhero movies, they can do anything. But he falls. He He's bleeding, right? And we're like, ah, oh, damn it, he... He missed it. He he did not make it this time, which makes it really believable. And we're talking about jumping, you know, <laughs> through air and, and skipping like buildings. It's insane. That's impossible. But it makes it relatable. Like, of course, like he's, he's in level one. He's in training. He's not up there yet. But we got to a point where he's like bending universes, right? <laughs> he just goes to some next level thing that is very unexpected and i think that's the 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 beauty of it it just makes a superhero movie really believable which is remarkable if you ask me i also love how when we meet trinity when we meet morpheus when we meet these people that they've built them up so much before you meet them where it's like 
you you're like you feel like you're like oh, what is this person they're mysterious they're like famous somehow like the trinity like the morpheus like these people are like you know somewhere between ghosts and heroes and infamous you know vandals or villains or whatever and like you don't even know what they are and they they build them up in like a fraction of a second in the story it's like incredible how quickly and then you meet them and they're as cool as advertised <laughs> Like, do you know how hard it is to, like, make someone that cool that quickly? Don't think you are. Know you are. Morpheus has the sunglasses that that don't have the sides on them, which is, like, one of the greatest costume choices in, like, movie history. The the long jackets. They just, they they hype things up in this in the movie every time. It's all these just, like, little cliffs that get you to the next step. And it's always cooler then the next thing you're like, it's just incredible how how well they do that. And they build suspense, and then they release suspense, and then they build it again, and it's just so, so well done. Right, but the three characters, the, the three of them are actually built on the basis of the Holy Trinity, right? So it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So obviously Morpheus is the Father, Neo is the Son, but then Trinity is the, the the Holy Spirit, and it's like without her, they're not whole. And again, it's the the third person. Like usually, you have the hero and the sidekick. You don't have the three of them. You have foursomes, or you know, more people like you know, guardians of the galaxy. There are more people there. They're a gang, but these are just three, and they're each of them is so cool, as you said. And it's just you you want to be all of them. Like I remember. Because I was, I mean, 20 years ago, I was, you know, younger and I was obsessed with all three of them. Like I didn't, you know, grow up wanting to be Trinity just because she's a woman and I related to her the most. I wanted to be, you know, have her, of course, let her cat suit because it caught me in a time where I was into, <laughs> you know, looking cool. But then I was like, okay, I want to have the... I know, courage of Neil, or I want to have the wisdom of Morpheus. So it, it's really intertwined, but it's, again, super seamless. Yeah, another thing that as a creator and as a marketer that I think is such a good les- lesson is that of how they said that that it was every idea we've had in our fucking lives. Because I think that there is some hesitancy from marketers and this is part of the reason why we made the show in the first place to not want to like pull in a bunch of different things that they like and put it into one thing and because like you think of like this movie has kung fu it has like crazy gun scenes it has sort of like an espionage type feel it has robots it has like lots of religion references it has so many different elements that they put together, as we've discussed, that probably most people aren't going to pull in the things that they're passionate about or curious about and just put it into their content. But that's what makes it feel so cool and different. And like the cramming of worlds together in that way is what makes this feel so like unique. And it's, I mean, I think it's unlike any movie you know, that's ever been made. But there's obviously you can see the threads of all the different movies that they sort of put into it. And not just movies and books and comic books and all that stuff. And I think that's a good piece of advice for marketers. So like, take a few things that you are really passionate about, content that you love, and like, 
take two and just put it together, right? Like peanut butter plus jelly makes makes it makes something better, right? Like combine two things that you like together and try to make something in that format, and you could create in, in sort of a different palette than than perhaps if you were just trying to like just copy one thing. Right. Yeah. And you, I mean, also like when you talk about marketing, like you're trying to, yeah, combine all of these ideas because your your product or software or whatever you're selling has so many cool features, but not everybody will be amazed or find every feature as useful because it just depends. So when you're creating your content, try and come up with the best content possible, combining every fucking idea you ever had. And people will pull things from it. Like they will take what serves them best and just enjoy that. So when it's the same when it comes to content, when it comes to, to use of a product, like the features that, for example, like, you know, the three of us are using the same tool. Like we're all using a mobile phone, right? And let's say that all three of us have iPhones. I really, really enjoy the camera features. Meredith really enjoys the widgets and how she can customize the, the the screen. And Ian, you enjoy, I don't know, the seamlessness between your Mac and your your iPhone. These three things are very distinct, very different, but all equally cool. So talk to everybody, try and address as much as you can, combine all your ideas, and a great product marketing or content marketing is done. Equals success. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the way that they do the fight scenes, I mean, every fight scene is great in the entire movie. They're all incredible. They have these really cool constraints because they have to get to a phone. So, like, that's really cool. And it's like you, they have to get to the phone. So there's there's these internal constraints of, like, you know that they have to get back to a phone. They're communicating back, you know, towards this thing. We know that they're worse than the people they're fighting, Right. It's like the whole thing is don't fight, just run, right? Like that's like the whole thing. And then now it's this, like that's the rule. So Neo has to break the rule, which is fight. And then once Morpheus gets taken, then they have to break the rule and they have to like go in and, and, and fight them. And you have this amazing bad guy in Agent Smith who's a robot but or a machine, but he's not just a machine. He's clearly sentient, right? Like the machine's... When they show them in actual Earth, they just look like machines. But when you see Agent Smith, he talks like he's sentient. He acts like he's sentient. So it's this like super arch villain. And then it's basically the last scene is essentially out of a video game, right? It's like you got to get to the boss. The boss is, you know, it's the same thing as Mario, right? Like <laughs> the princess has been captured and you have to go, you have to fight through all the minions to get to it. And, you know, and they have like the trench coats and all the weapons and all the stuff. And it just, it feels so earned to have this massive giant fight scene, this like savior type moment for him when the whole movie you said, you know, don't fight these people and run and do all this stuff. And it's just a culmination. Then the final fight scene where he actually, you know, can stop bullets and, and Agent Smith is the one who runs. That's like just, just poetry, right? It's just so good. And so I just think that, you know, in terms of takeaways for marketing that like in our own marketing, yeah, I don't know how you compete with the with the fight scenes in the matrix, but I think but I think I you think can that try. Yeah, right, you can. But I think that it it's very earned in the way that he's leveled up throughout sort of the the story. Yeah. 
absolutely. Yeah. I have a question for you, if I may ask, because yes. that sure. question has been unanswered for me for all these years. So you mentioned that they're running to, towards the phone booth to save themselves. But there are a few scenes. So every time there is like a close up and they place their hand, their palm on the actual booth last second before they are saved or they're like unplugged. Mm -hmm. Why? That's a great I, question. I, was I don't know. It's, I need I need to Google that again. But it's I, I tried really to find meaning. Like, are they stopping time? They're not. Is it a, a safety precaution in case the glass breaks? I don't know. I have so many questions that are still unanswered. Well, yeah. So my only take on this would be sort of like you see later on in the story, Neo is able to stop you know, bullets and control the thing. So it's like maybe there's some sort of thing in the back of their mind and their human consciousness that like this is a computer program and that like they could have exert enough sort of force and power that in which, you know, maybe they could they could stop. I don't know. That's a great question. That's just, I don't know. It's off the top of my head. Off, off of what you just said, Anya, which I've been thinking about too, is like there's obviously so much symbolism and deeper meaning to the movie that I think that like it inspires just this curiosity with viewers where like they're playing with some very familiar symbols like the white rabbit and then some that are not so familiar and you're like well why you know why does he place his hand on the phone booth and what's you know what's that about and I think that part of like good marketing is like inspiring curiosity with your audience and making them ask questions about th how things work. And part of that too, I think is like confusion about like, you know, what, what does this do? What does this red button do or whatever, you know? And I think that like getting people to talk about it, getting people to ask questions is really important. The matrix does have the one thing of like, they're asking the big question of like, what is life? And is there more to life? Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> Which I think is like the hook. But I think aside from that, just like getting people curious and making them wait for the answer and trusting the intelligence of their audience too, that they're going to pick up on things as they go, making them wait for the answers a little bit, I think is really something the matrix does well. Yeah. And it asks you the question of like, is like, is the matrix real? Like, are we living in a simulation? Like that is part of this is like, this could be real. You can't rule it out. You think that's air you're breathing now? It's similar to the way that the end of men in black how they zoom out of the world, zoom out of the world. And it turns out like our, our world is, is just a marble that some alien is playing with, you know, like way, way, whatever. He's like, well, you can't prove that that's not true. Right. Cause it's this whole secretive sort of thing. So I think that there's, there's that part where the viewers are suspending belief, obviously, but there is this sort of other piece, which is like, well, do we live in a simulation? And that's what they're sort of posing that question, which is super interesting. Oh, we should also say too, Another thing that this that it has is an epic betrayal, right? So you have there's a mole yeah. inside that is giving people up, and that famous scene when the when the gal looks At and she restaurant. shakes her head and she says, "Not like this," and then she he pulls the plug on her is just oh my gosh, and then and Dozer dies, and then his brother shoots. It's just like it's so it's so good, it's so layered, so much, yeah. Just so it's it's really also also that scene in the at the restaurant when when he talks to to mm. the agent and he is like oh I know that 
this chicken that I'm eating right now is a program. It's it's not chicken. The the flavor, the taste is not real. Like, okay, damn, if every single flavor in the world I ever tasted isn't real, I am I'm in trouble. <laughs> to me as a foodie, that was like, oh no. Like if there is no taste, what is this? What is life? <laughs> Isn't so, that yeah, when he says so ignorance insane. is bliss? Yeah. Yeah. Ignorance is yeah. bliss. That, I think about that all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. <laughs> I say the the lines I quote the most are I say I use the not like this gif all the time. That's great. <laughs> oh, we should just go through some of the iconic gifts from this movie. So you have the Morpheus hand wave of like the come the come at me, bro. The sort of hand wave, which yeah. is all time. <laughs> you have the red pill, blue pill, which is great. Is there one with that where Neo catches the helicopter? That should be a gift. That should right. be the best gift because <laughs> it's just it's so unreal, but so good. Is this what tasty wheat tasted like? Like, I don't know. If, it's just, it's a really well written too. And you know, it's funny, like they use just enough, like very common tropes, like the White Rabbit and Alice in Wonderland and some of that sort of stuff, which we actually use some of the same stuff in our show, The Hacker Chronicles, our podcast that we did. That's why they chose Alice and some of those things. And like, you know, you want to signpost the listener, the viewer to things that they are familiar with, to like anchor them in stories, anchor them in reality in those things. I think they do a wonderful job of that. And Neo's a hacker on the side, but he also has a regular job. It just feels, it feels dark, but it feels like a dark version of the world that, you know, we are living in. All right, let's get to your content strategy. How do you think about content at Deal? Right. So we, we think a lot (laughs) about content strategy at Deal. So obviously, since I I was uh, the first person to join the team, content has been one of the biggest pillars of of deals marketing strategy as a whole. And I'm I'm eternally grateful for the trust that I got from the rest of the team and from from C-level leadership in content because content has different, like it it doesn't necessarily directly convert. Return on investment is a bit slower, especially if you're talking about SEO. We can talk a bit more about ROI later on, but I I like to think of it as response to your prospects or a person at any stage of finding a solution process. So there, the, the readiness to purchase is very important when you think about content marketing because you need to basically answer every single question that all the people who are looking at your product have. So basically, it's like the the marketing funnel, right? So you have top of the funnel and content you produce there is just informational. It's educational. It's talking about the topic that your product is connected to, right? So it's a lot about, you know, what is articles or, you know, listicles, the lighter contents that as you move closer to, to the middle of the funnel, your content needs to be a bit more product heavy. So it needs to talk about specific solutions, specific questions that your prospects may have. But not all of it has to be salesy and pushy because they're just considering, they're exploring their options. So they're looking at competitors, they're Googling best product for XYZ, they're turning to their colleagues, to their network to get recommendations. 
And then the the very bottom of the funnel is where you really like push them off their edge. Like they're really thinking about it. They're considering your product. They know enough about it. So if you combine a very specific need and very specific, and this is where it gets really targeted, like pain point or whatever it is, you pitch them your own product. You explain why your product is the best in the industry or best for that problem. So that is how we think about content strategy. And I mean, on top of that, yeah, I think you need to be really flexible with it because the markets change, the 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 business landscape change, the the economic factors change, right? So what you you devise as a plan for for this year might not work next year because we are living in very uncertain times we don't know how next few years are going to look like so being lean and flexible is i think the right way to address any strategy but content strategy in particular how do you view the roi of content and justifying the creation of content to senior leadership well (laughs) it really depends what you want to achieve with content and I think that the, the first thing you need to do is get to get the buy-in from senior leadership and set the right expectations. Because we we have seen endless cases where a CEO of a company or, or like an early stage startup is looking for a marketing person or a person who does search engine optimization. And their request is get me on the first page of Google. And that's it. To get you to the first page of Google can take anywhere from six months to five years. (laughs) So it takes time. You need to to explain that if you're into getting and driving, driving traffic organically, it's possibly going to take years, not because you're doing a bad job, but because it takes time to build topical authority. If you're new, it takes time to get all the the triggers and signals that search engines are looking for. And that we don't even know, like there is no comprehensive list of all the the Google ranking factors. Nobody knows. It's like the big secret. It takes iterations. It takes possibly years. Also, if if that's traffic and SEO, but if your your C-level or senior leadership idea of content marketing is write a blog post and that's going to bring me customers, they're wrong. Blog in isolation is not going to bring customers. It just won't. It can help greatly contribute to the ultimate goal. But a a blog post that is very top of the funnel, say like, what is a local bank account, for example, which is one of the blog posts we have on Deal's website, that's not, not going to close a mid-market size company. And you cannot really put a call to action to request a demo on such a content piece because they are not ready. However, you can have the call to action to learn more about XYZ, to explore other resources, related resources. And that's how you push them down. So return on investment, if we're talking about purely financial standpoint and maybe like HR, like human resources that are involved, is difficult to calculate. However, if you build the attribution model that takes into account multi-channel or touch points across the whole funnel or across the whole marketing activities that you have, it's very easy <laughs> to, to define that contribution. But it's not a very simple equation. 
And that's a very long answer to your short question. <laughs> oh, it's a great, great answer. Do you have a couple of your favorite content, either pieces of content or campaigns or, or anything like that? I do. Well, I have to start with Deals Out of Home campaign, the latest one we've done. The campaign slogan is Bring the World to Work, which I'm biased. I'm very biased here. But I think it was really fun to collaborate on this. It was really fun to see the billboards pop up across the world at the same time or relatively same time. I, I have to be honest here. I'm not a huge believer in Out of Home. I think there are other initiatives that have greater impact on marketing. But the amount of conversations I've had with people who are not working at Deal, who have seen the, the, the ads, the billboard, is just massive. They were like a partner or someone from my LinkedIn network. They, they would send me a message to be like, hey, I was just riding the subway and I saw Deal's ad. It's so cool. I'm so pumped for this meeting. Like, it really made my day to hear that every single time that I... I, I really think it's it's one of the, the coolest things that we did. The second one that I always enjoy is Spotify's annual wrapped campaign. I, I recently read about it and how they came up with it. And it initially started as a US thing, so like this only thing. But obviously, it spread globally as Spotify grew its its audience. And I don't know if you get excited about wrapped in it at the end of the day. I get really, I get so connected to it and I love how they make it easy to share. My whole feed on every social media platform is in Spotify wrapped in December and we're commenting on it. And I think it was last year when they first introduced these personas, they, they actually have like characters, like you are, I don't know, adventurer because you listened to I don't know, 100 different new genres, or you are old school because you you listen to, I don't know, 80s pop. And I absolutely love it. It's so simple. And it's not that hard to engineer, right? They do have all the data. So everything you need to do is just make that data into a cool visual and watch it explode. Because every single person, every single Spotify user is your channel. It just does the work on its own. So that's that's a really cool one. I'm I'm looking forward to the next one to see how my, my Spotify life and persona has developed in the last year. And then then thirdly, a different format. It's actually a YouTube channel. It's called Hot Ones. Sean Evans is the host. He's I I absolutely love the guy. I think his team like I don't know if he does his own research or if he has a team I believe maybe he works with the team they pull out such great references they like he asks unexpected questions and he like I truly believe that his interviews are far better than many of the talk shows we have now the popular talk shows because it's not about oh, you released a movie or you released an album. Let's talk about that because obviously somebody paid for you to come to the show where we want to have more viewership. This is just a regular guy talking to someone else and they're eating hot wings. It, the idea of it is so simple. It you know stems from this communal 
element of, you know, sharing a meal together. So ideally they break the the boundary of an interviewer and interviewee. But the questions he he asks are really, really good. So I enjoy every single episode. I truly do. It's so good. And it's just like pipe and drape in the background, just like black curtains and like it's the most simplistic setup. Yeah. It's just, it's a really good, very well researched. It's one of the most popular when people, when we're making a podcast for someone or a video series, it's one of the most popular comps that we get of like something that feels kind of like hot ones. It's like, yeah, it's tough to oh do that. But it's... <laughs> cool. Anya, it's been absolutely awesome chatting with you. I could chat the matrix all day. We barely, barely scratched the surface, but I think we got some pretty good marketing insights in there. For listeners, you can go check out Deal, especially if you're hiring overseas. It's a it's an absolute no-brainer. All-in-one HR solution. Go check out deal.com. Anya, any any other final thoughts? Anything to plug? I would just say, you know, stay tuned. We're a growing company. We're just over a few thousand people, but it still feels startup-y, which I think is is one of the unique things about Deal. Also, we are shipping a lot of things all the time. So if we don't have a product or a feature for you, you can always check out the blog and stay connected through the content that we have. Meredith, Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure. I truly hope that one day you'll create a podcast for The Matrix only. If you're <laughs> looking forward to, if you're looking for a partner or a co-founder, you have my contact details. I love it. Awesome. Anya, thanks again. We really appreciate it. And we'll talk soon. Sure. Talk soon. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise. <laughs>